You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns. As always, your host, Jeff Lloyd here, guys. Um, look, guys, as, as we've been talking about here, you know, whether it's, you know, your Alexa or whether it's Surrey, you know, the voice activation. I mean, look, we're all getting lazier as we get older, which is fine. It's okay. But Alexa, Surrey, play podcast, Locked On Browns. They'll suit, you know, fire up the latest episode of Lockdown Browns for you guys. Uh, fun episode here tonight. Uh, and, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, Brent Sobleski from Bleacher Report, from the OBR on. Look, I, we're going to, you know, mix some voices here in through the offseason because, A, it's fun. And, you know, look, we'll get very inclusive, you know, after the combine, into the draft and that stuff. But, you know, let's just talk some ball. Enjoy. Um, you know, put out some great episodes, some great content, great some great views from some great people, and we're just going to continue to do that. Obviously, you know, with this week, you know, we're going to keep it rolling along here. Um, Brett, the way I did, the way I checked it out, and I went back and did my homework. I'm good like this now. I'm starting to do homework and check in, <laughs> making sure the last time to guess we're on. It was right after New Year's, so obviously, you know, we were in a state of flux. It was still the celebratory of hey. We're not a piss-poor franchise anymore. There's a lot of promising things going on. And then as it started to, you know, turn into a new coaching staff and some changes there. So, you know, we haven't had you on to talk about this. So, Brent, you know, the new, obviously, you know, Freddie Kitchens, your new HC in charge, the big man on campus, so to speak. Some interesting hires pretty much all the way around. So we haven't gotten to him yet, but let's get your thoughts here on this new coaching staff, you know, leading these new and in a lot of people's eyes, the conference favorites in 2019. You know, Jeff, first of all, thank you for having me as always. Second of all, when you look at the staff that's been put in place, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, I can't imagine a better group to fit together as a cohesive unit, as a staff. Because when you're looking at it, I know one of the things we've discussed when this entire process was ongoing was hiring the right people at key positions. First of all, the two that I mentioned at that time were the offensive line and and strength and conditioning. Well, strength and conditioning was already in place, but then you go and get James Campen, who has a long history of developing offensive linemen to Pro Bowl levels after being mid-round picks, which speaks well of where the Browns currently reside. Because if you have a team that that with the starting front five that's mainly established, which you do in Cleveland, if and when Greg Robinson is re-signed, now your next step is keeping them together, allowing them to the cohesion to grow, perfect some of your technique, constantly work on your craft, and develop guys behind them so that they can eventually take their place. This is the way today's NFL is built, specifically along the offensive line when you only carry seven active members into game days and with eight total usually on your 53-man roster. So you look at, for example, what Campen did in, in Bay. You have Josh Sitton, who was one of the best guards in the league, multiple-time pro bowler. But they decided to move on for him once his uh, his uh, contract got too exorbitant. You have Jeremy Taylor, or Lane Taylor, excuse me, sitting right there, ready to become a starter right off the bat. And no one knew of him at the time, and he's been, it's been a seamless transition. So when you start considering the long-term ramifications and financial flexibility that Cleveland will be looking towards, specifically along the offensive line, with guys like Hubbard, when you look at the two guards and where and how much they'll cost once you get into about the 2019, 2000, or excuse me, 2020, 2021 seasons, this is absolutely crucial. Having that guy up front that is a reliable teacher 
and developer. And so to me, that's where it all starts. And I know we've discussed that I'm an old big ugly, so I tend to favor offensive linemen. But it's truly important to have that foundation. And then you marry that with bringing in Todd Munkin. I understand Todd Munkin is not going to be the primary play caller. But his system, alongside Kitchens, with his vertical-based passing attack, with aggressive early down passing, really meshes well, not only with your new head coach, but also your quarterback, to place yourself in a position to succeed. Furthermore, with Munkin, you have the background of the air raid system, which was so successful with Baker Mayfield for his two seasons in Oklahoma, or at least the last two seasons, when at that time he set NCAA records in efficiency. So <clears throat> I look at those two specifically and think they were absolutely home run hires. Defensively, I'm a little, little more trepidatious when it comes to what we're going to see and how, and how it's going to develop. Some of that's personnel-based. And it has nothing to do with 3-4 versus 4-3. It's simply where you see the holes in the roster and the weaknesses and how Steve Wilkes is going to adjust. We see saw a different coach in Carolina as defensive coordinator than the one we saw as head coach in Arizona. Which version are you going to get? You retain a Dwayne Walker. You bring in a Tosh Lapoy instead of keeping Clyde Simmons. You know, I, these are question marks, right? You don't know exactly where you stand on these guys. And to me... It's more of a question defensively right now than it is offensively. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, and that's one of the things everybody, and, and this is the one, you know, and Brent, I, you know, you're smart enough because you put some stuff up on social media and you're like, gone. And like, guys, you don't understand. Like, I'll send Brent a message be like, hey, you know, if you got time for a show tonight. And like seven hours later, Brent's like, oh, no, no, man, I avoid this place. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> actually, we, Brent, we got to make sure we got each other's phone numbers so we can just do the text that way. Um, but it, it, and it's funny that way. And but yeah, and everybody with oh, you know, a picture today with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and David Njoku. Guys, stop, stop. You, if I told you, if you guys literally knew what the price tag would be in, in in compensation to trade for Odell Beckham, your heads would freaking spin. You're not talking number seventeen. You're talking the next first round pick, probably a second round pick. You guys. You you just yes, it, but it's not Madden. Look, I love Odell Beckham. Man. I just told Brent before we hit the record button about this. Absolutely love him, but it's it's cost versus what you're getting, and, and that is not what you need. What you need is three to four pieces on a defensive line. You probably need two to three linebackers. You know, you always want another corner. Um, you may have a, a small safety issue in Kindred and Peppers. The fact that Derek Kindred's a good player, but you're not gonna sit. Jabril Peppers next year for 35% of the snaps. There's a lot more bigger aspects here with that. Um, and this may be why we do make, you know, uh, like the wide receiver, the old big ugly, uh, big ugly and you, Brent. Maybe that's why. But also the early first down passing efficiency. Could you imagine just saying, all right, Nick, second and three. We're just going to call the running plays you like here. And, you know, Nick, who's going to rip off about five a carry anyway. So there you go. We're back to our next first down. We can throw it, and you're going to continue to rinse and repeat that. And the offense really took off once they decided, oh, wait a minute. Let's stop with this dinking and dumping garbage. Baker can go vertical. We've got guys who can do that. We've got some speed guys. Perriman was a big-bodied guy. And, wow, what do you know? All of a sudden, things lit up like a Christmas tree. Crazy how that works, you know, when you start coaching and, you know, scheming and play calling to what you actually have and what your strengths might be. Um, But... I was going to say, Jeff, this all ties together, and, and, and we shouldn't bypass it when you consider what how crucial this offseason is. When you look at 
these hires and where you expect the team to go from there. So you're looking at a coaching set that's aggressive, that and that is on both sides of the ball. If we get the Wilkes that we saw at, <clears throat> excuse me, Carolina, you'll have one of the most blitz happy defensive coordinators in the NFL, and they're going to get after it. And that and that and that works into free agency. You are seeing. How, yes, you have Baker Mayfield, you have Jarvis Landry out there. Some people think it's they're recruiting. I would describe it as fishing a little bit <laughs> because the overall team approach is not going to be the big, be the big splash hires or signings. And while that would be fun to watch as a, from a Browns fan's perspective, <clears throat> when you have Paul DePodesta, who's still a very large part of this organization, what they're going to do is exploit inefficiencies. And we saw that last year with the trade market. And we could potentially see that again this year. So when you go out and get a Tyrod Taylor and Jarvis Landry and, and players of that ilk or John Dorsey later on investing <clears throat> a minimal for former elite talents and high round picks like a Greg Robinson and Brashad Perryman and them working out in their favor, these are the types of, uh, the types of moves that you can expect from a team where – even though John Dorsey is that quote-unquote football guy, he's still going to have that department in, his, the, in those quants in his ear telling him which may be the best way to maximize your value. And when you have coaching staff who are starting to utilize those type of guys and start and show that they can maximize their potential and their production, that makes you more alluring as a, as a destination. Now, <clears throat> with that said, now, if we go back, one thing we didn't get to discuss, Jeff, because it was after our last uh, last time we connected, is the Seth Wickersham article. Oh, boy. Which I know a lot of people described as a hit piece. It was not a hit piece. Everything in there is pretty much dead on. And The only <clears throat> shocker was the porn, that it was out for 20 minutes. Like, nobody could realize to turn the goddamn thing off. Like, guys, <laughs> this is wrong. So, but th- th- what's key there is this. Perception is different than reality. So even though if you're excited, as everyone in Cleveland should be about the potential of this roster and this team, that perception hasn't changed nationally or within the league. You still look at Jimmy Haslam as a hindrance. You still see that there's a potential, uh, the potential for this to blow up in some manner because that's the previous history. So when we we discuss all of this with the coaching staff and free agency and where the organization sits as a whole from a league-wide perspective, those are three different points that no, don't that don't connect on a Venn diagram at this moment. So it, we need to reach that point to see Cleveland really turn into and become a winning organization. And once that's accomplished, everything will start to align. Right now, that's not the case. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the biggest thing for Jimmy would be, hey, maybe lower... I mean, because look, there's been some talk here, obviously, with you know, ticket prices being raised a little bit. Maybe lower the cost of concessions. Or you want to know what? You know, Jimmy Haslam says, first 5,000 people in today, first hot dog is on him. Do something for the fans where they're like, all right, that's where he needs to be focused now. Stop worrying about the overall product and how it's being ran. Go tell the fan. And, and these are the small signs where the fans can be like, and, you know, he seems like he could be a likable guy. But show the fans that you're more concerned about them having a great experience, watching a great team, as opposed to, well, you want to know what? I talked to Peyton Manning a couple weeks ago. No, you don't have to flex your muscles here. Everybody knows you're a great businessman. 
Obviously, you were loaded beyond loaded. Uh, you know, your 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 great grandchild's great grandchild's great grandchild is probably never really gonna have to work for a living. Go find a way to you know, show the fans it's gonna be a better experience because it's a better product and they can enjoy their Sundays. That's all Jimmy's got to do, and it's it, it's simple. All right, hot dogs are what four seventy five. All right, now the three seventy five. Simple things. That's all he would have to do, and I, I believe everybody would feel more comfortable that he's going to let this staff in this front office do what they do well in that. But we are going to get to your piece here. And this is the thing. And guys, with any free agent here, and you know, me and Brent were talking about this, um, any of these free agents now, guys, you certainly, and I said this last night, you really need to consider the fact that there could be a work stoppage in 2021. There's anybody who's credible and follows this league the way we all do, we all agree it's a legitimate concern. So any free agent on the market this year, they're not going to care about length of contract. They're not going to care about you know, what it says, where the public says, oh, he got five for 75. They're going to worry about the money they are getting for 19 and 20. There is no way around it. I mean, I've spoken to agents who are feeling this way. It's going to be, and and I I noticed, Brent, with you and the, the monetary amounts you put with these, these deals, and you know, a lot of people are probably you know eyes are popping out of their head, but you know I want twenty five, if I'm a, you know twenty five, thirty five, forty over these first two years. That's how you know, that's how much everybody understands there could be an issue in the stoppage in twenty one. Yeah, structure of the contract is going to be every bit as important as actual monetary value. When you look at, and this was a year ago, Ramon Foster, who's the player rep for the Pittsburgh Steelers, comes out publicly and says, you better start squirreling away money. Now, that's me paraphrasing, but that's exactly what he's, that's the exact sentiment of what he stated. You know there's going to be some type of standoff, and there's a lot of different reasons why. So it's not just money, because the players got a larger chunk last time, but how the league is run, when you look at, excuse me, when you look at, how much power the commissioner wields and so on and so forth. There's going to be a lot of quite a few reasons for the players to really dig in their heels if they're prepared to do so, because what you're always worried about is who's going to break ranks. So when you look at the numbers I threw out there, I did it by a year by year basis. And for those that are curious what me and Jeff are discussing Friday, Bleacher Report uh, published my article projecting the biggest price tags for this year's NFL free free agents. For first of all, Nick Foles is going to make out like a bandit. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, he is. <laughs> and second of all, if you're in the market for defensive linemen, this is your year. But you better be willing to spend, whether it be in free agency or the draft, because there's going to be a lot of premium talent available. What? type of talent will be available to Cleveland, what will they be willing to spend as an organization are two entirely different things. Like I stated earlier, you still have to overcome that reputation. Whether you, as anyone listening, agrees with it or not, there is still a stigma surrounding the Cleveland Browns. It's not going to go away. It needs to be earned to have that perception changed. So the top guys, for any one of us that follow the team and cover them, you tend to just not worry about them as free agents, and maybe that's a little short-sighted because as I go through my list of players, the only one I could even imagine entertaining an offer from Cleveland would be Trey Flowers, the defensive end from New England. And the reason I state that is twofold. One, 
he will if they win Sunday, he'll have two Super Bowl rings already. And two, Cleveland is an ideal fit for the way and style he plays and how much they can pay him. Otherwise, knowing these guys that I have written about as the top ten most expensive free agents upcoming are are I I don't want to say great fits because obviously they would fit into what Cleveland needs, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's the right fit for the player. So Forget about Nick Foles for a second because quarterback's obviously off the table. But when you start talking about Jadavion Clowney, Frank Clark, who is a Cleveland native, by the way, Grady Jarrett, Trey Flowers, D. Ford, I'm not going to say Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> Trent I, Brown. I think we're good because if you're yeah, going to yeah, do this for the caponomics, uh, let's see, what's Nick Chubb making? What would you have to pay Le'Veon Bell? Yeah, we're good. We're good. Yeah. And then you have Trent Brown and C.J. Mosley. Now, the majority of those guys I just mentioned – would be wonderful additions to Cleveland's roster. I mean, that just goes without saying. But would they actually be interested in going to Cleveland if they have other options, which they will, and they won't be? So these numbers may seem eye-popping, but the investment's going to be there because even though Cleveland right now is top five in salary cap space and they had $59 million just roll over to the 2019 salary cap, you have the Jets, you have the Colts, you have teams that already have over $100 million to spend in more favorable situations or locations. And so when you take that into account, it's really difficult to see Cleveland working any differently or operating outside of what John Dorsey did last year. And so to me, that's the types of names and moves we'll, we, would, we would look at. So let me give you two examples. And I'll give a credit and for the Orange and Brown Report forums because this was a great a great find by one of the posters. Rodney Gunter, defensive tackle out of Arizona, had his best season last year under Steve Wilkes as head coach. He's a three technique, played one technique early in his career as a nose in the three forefront. Someone that can step in at 25 years old and upgrade that position. Okay, let's look a little more forward because we know what Cleveland did in the trade market last year and how they tried to exploit that. Let me throw another name out there for you. Vernon Butler. Okay, so we saw how John Dorsey wanted to capitalize on on players who may not as held as much of a value as they did when they came in the league and been a disappointment in their previous stop. That would, Butler certainly fits into that into that uh, equation. So now you flip maybe a late round pick or flip picks as we've seen grow more custom in the last few years, you have a first round talent D tackle. Who's not going to get much more playing time behind Don Terry Poe and Kawan short than he has in the last couple the last year or two. You make a minimal investment for hopefully optimal development. And so those are the type of guys I'm looking at that say, you know what? We have the Cleveland Browns have a major need at three technique. Maybe you don't spend the first-round pick on the position. Maybe you go and get a second, third-tier free agent or a disappointing first-round pick that you think will thrive in your situation. That's the types of moves I expect from the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and look, and some of these names, if you're actually going to think about it, you know, would Mosley fit here? Sure. Uh, Grady Jarrett, look, Grady Jarrett, even if Atlanta moves on, which they'd be tremendously stupid to do, He's a good old Southern boy. It's where yeah. I mean, he, I, he the guy, I, I, there was a reality show where there was a guy from England, you know, trying to pick his NFL team. Um, Grady Jarrett lives with his mom. Uh, 
Like, I don't think he's going to uproot from the South. No, it's, it's just not the way it's going to work. Um, you know, you look, Frank Clark, guys, you know where I stand on guys like that. That's a guy I would probably tend to avoid. Uh, but Jeffrey Flowers. Simmons. <coughs> Jeffrey Simmons, sorry. Well, you, you, Brent, if, if I've got to make this stance on any of these guys, I've got to make it on all of them. 100%. No, I agree. I'm, I'm in the same boat, but guess yep. what? I don't, we're, we're not making the decisions. And that guy who is making the decisions. So, guys, it, 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 look, Jeffrey Simmons, fantastic football player. Frank Clark, fantastic football player. But at the end of the day, I, I can say I'd rather have a guy who towed the line. Um, Agreed. Yep. So, but And I do agree with you. That's where Flowers, and the other thing is, is, is you look at Flowers and all he's done, and you say, well, he would come here and be the two. He wouldn't be the one. He'd be the two. So, and you look at that, and I mean, and that is eye popping. And it is. It's. It's funny that New England's got two names here. And I'll be honest. I. I figure both will move on. I mean, that's just the way Bill kind of does business. I mean, maybe one of them stays, but Bill ain't handing two guys thirty million dollars a year. That's just not the way he does business up there. Well, on top of that. They only have like nineteen million dollars in available cap space, and that's with the discount they get from Brady. So, it's they they are a loaded roster, at least from a financial perspective, because of all the veterans they carry. And it's hard to retain players who have already had success, and they're going into their second contracts, which is where you maximize your 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 financial potential. So, someone like Trent Brown and Trey Flowers, both twenty five, going on twenty six years old. If you have a if you have a Super Bowl or two under your belt and you have a chance to make a, a approximately twelve to eighteen million dollars a year, then that's a bit of a wide range, but it's including both positional values. You have to capitalize, especially when New England's already prepared for the inevitability of at least one of them walking with with Trent Brown. You have Isaiah Wynn once he's healthy to yep. be your left tackle next year. You don't have to have the six foot eight, three hundred and eighty pound left tackle. Yeah, it's nice. Guy's a planetoid, and he's been so fantastic as the year progressed. But now you're looking at a situation, and New England does it better than anyone. It's why they're the team to watch and to maybe mimic's not the right term, but when I speak of exploiting market inefficiencies, they have done it for so long at such an effective rate that they keep themselves competitive year in and year out. And Brown is the absolute ideal example when they flip day three picks bring in a three-year starting right tackle, move him to blindside, and he hasn't even given up a pressure during the postseason. Not a sack, a pressure. <laughs> and the only time Tom Brady's got hit this postseason, they call it a 15-yard grazing the quarterback penalty. So <laughs> when you come down to it, that's how the Browns want to operate. So watch those type of moves that aren't sexy, that aren't expected, but can potentially help the roster more long-term. Yeah, and that, that's even the thing with the Brown, with Brown, the way it worked out. And look, Chris Jones, look, uh, you can't put your hand within nine inches of Tom Brady's face. It doesn't work <laughs> that way. You know, I mean, and look, I, I mean, you know, for Flowers and for Brown, they don't have supermodel wives at home who are making more money than they do. So these guys know I have to get paid. I, I don't have that at home. So, you know, it's not going to work that way. But, you know, and look, and Baker is going to make a chunk of change off the field. The hatred towards him is going to stop. So it, you know, it, it's interesting as that. But it, it was, it was an interesting article in, in those deals and with the money that you guys are going to get, they're going to want it up front, guys. And this is one thing we keep reiterating. 
Um, guys, iTunes rating reviews, they help the show. They're fantastic. Drop a five-star written review right, in at, right about now. Be a great time to do that. Um, Brett, now we, we're starting to get some storylines here in the league. And uh, actually, somebody just, um, and I know him, he's uh, one of the guys who runs the Draft Network. It's um, the Browns are going to move, I mean, the, not the Browns, the Bucks will, looks like they're going to move on from Gerald McCoy. Now, here's going to be the interesting thing. Me, I prefer to get him cut where you can go after him where you're going to control the contract. But that's a really, really interesting name, Gerald McCoy. You know, when I look at him, Jeff, it's, it, I, you're right. But it's based on what and where he's available. So if he's a draft chip, or excuse me, a trade chip, that's someone that you may not be considering. Simply looking at his contract, 2019. His 2019 base salary is $13 million, and he's not that caliber of player anymore. One thing you have to assess with the salary cap as it currently currently constituted is a team has to get the level of production based on the financial output that they've invested in that position. McCoy's is still a good player. He does have an injury history. You need to know if he can step in and still be that same player. And this is why Cleveland, for example, moves on from a Joe Hayden. It has nothing to do with not wanting Hayden there. It has nothing to do with his level of play. You, you know he can still play, but is he playing to the worth of his contract? And he was So when they asked him, asked him to take a pay cut and he just outright denied it, they moved on. That's how you have to look at this situation. So if Gerald McCoy is released... Now you can potentially get into the bidding. If not, if he's someone they're trying to trade, which is very realistic, you probably bow out and look for a team. And I'm not trying to be facetious here, but an Oakland Raiders where he can step (laughs) in and be a leader of that defense, pair with Maurice Hurst and P.J. Hall, and you have a nice defensive interior on a team where an older player with that experience is valued. So – that's the way I look at it, and furthermore, if you're Cleveland, I don't know if you can even lure Gerald McCoy to your team as a free agent. He's going to have options because he can still play. It may not be the same all-pro level that he once was, but he can definitely still collapse the pocket if healthy. So he's going to be able to go almost where he pleases, and I doubt that's Cleveland. And I'm not trying to be a downer when I continue to point out that they're going to, that the Browns are second, third options, and that's maybe at best. It's just trying to, you know, inject a little dose of reality of how the finances and the league circles tend to work. And until Cleveland gets to the point where they're consistently winning, it's going to be difficult to bring in names of high quality. And so when you look at those next tier guys, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. or draft class, those are probably your better, your better options to plug a position of need. Yeah, and well, I mean the thing is, look, I mean there's two ways to look at this. Um, Obviously, the Oklahoma guy, and there is the YouTube video, you know, where he went with Baker Mayfield. Obviously, you know, pre-draft. So there is the lore there, and but look, guys, I mean, it, it's a video. You don't know how good it is, but if you are a Gerald McCoy, you are a guy who looks at things of financial matters of state income taxes, and ooh, could I still stay in Florida? 
Yeah, exactly. And I don't have to pay those. Could I still play in Texas? Or can I play in Texas and not have to pay those? Okay, those are... I'll settle for Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's, and, you know, like, I thought your point with Hayden was fantastic because it's the bang for the buck. You, you know, in, I, I won't say it, but there's a wide receiver with this team where guys give me a hard time. Were you getting the bang for the buck? And there are people in front offices, and this is their job. This is what we paid for. This is what we got. And, you know, the rookie contracts, are, you know, the, that's a different story that, you know, you live with it and that's the way it rolls. Um, and it's just is what it is, guys. And we're, trust me, we're not going down that rabbit hole tonight. Absolutely. No, I will say this, though, Jeff, real quick. When it comes to Baker Mayfield, and, and, and this is something um, that around the league, if you have a quarterback, you have much more of a selling point than other organizations. And so that's where the biggest difference can be for Cleveland moving forward. But you still have to get to the point where he's consistently the guy. I know we've already made him into an icon <laughs> in Northeast Ohio because his play was so spectacular. I don't even know if it's Northeast Ohio. I, I think it's a majority of the country except for like a silent majority that just was like, all right, well, let's keep poo-pooing on Cleveland because it's fun to do. Well, well, let's wait and see if he actually wins the, you know, the legitimate NFL Rookie of the Year because that'll be a that, sta- that'll be a statement where this franchise is perceived, no doubt agreed, about it. Agreed. And so that importance of having that position filled by a quality player and someone other individuals want to play with is a huge selling point. But it's not the only selling point, as you stated: quality of life, tax, state taxes, uh, system fit, coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera, and. I always hearken back to something that was told to me by a scout years and years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are so many mitigating factors after a player is drafted. He doesn't know how any of them are successful. And basically that means you're looking at a personal level. You're looking at change of life. You're looking at uh, how he meshes with the locker room and so on and so forth. That All those factors come into play during when you're courting a free agent as well. And it's even more important because they have the option <laughs> to stay or leave where draft picks don't. So that all comes into play. And when you have a Baker Mayfield and a Jarvis Landry speaking on your behalf, it helps. It certainly helps because they're guys that are being looked at in a positive manner. But it's not everything. And, and that entire equation has to be factored into it when you are considering the investments the team are going to try to make and if those individuals are willing to really get on get on board instead of looking elsewhere. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's so many factors and you know, I think people think it's you know so simple and a slam dunk and a and even if a Baker Baker Mayfield has a relationship with Gerald McCoy and says, "Oh man, we really need the D-line help." And, you know, Gerald McCoy is still a guy who's almost 30 years old and says, "Cleveland? Cleveland?" Really, Cleveland? <laughs> and you want to know what? And you know, and yes, the Browns should have won that game. But you, know, Joe McCoy didn't play in it. But he's like, you guys didn't beat us. We weren't very good. We fired our head coach. You know, I mean, it's just there's just so much that goes into it. Um, guys, the Locked On Rams podcast, the Locked On <laughs> Patriots podcast. As we roll on into Super Bowl Sunday, uh, Bear, who runs the Locked On Rams podcast, Mark Schofield, good tight friend, runs the Locked On Patriots podcast. You guys looking to get caught up before Sunday? Check out both those shows. These guys have been busting their butts. It's a podcaster's dream as a team you cover to be headed into Sunday. Um, Mark Schofield's been doing it now for a couple of years, so 
poo-poo on Mark, but I tease you, Mark. I love. I was thinking about this the other day, right? What's it going to be like when Patriots, their their press, don't have to cover a Super Bowl? (laughs) Right. I think they're going to be lost a little bit. Like exactly, like oh my god, it's January first. Okay, so uh, oh wait, we're gonna go on vacation now. Okay, well, what, what do people vacation in January? Because normally, like you know, press writers vacation if they work, you know, if they're in Boston, they cover the Patriots. It's more of a late February thing is when they take their time away with their families. They'd be totally lost. They, they uh, oh my god, they, they'd be scrambling. <laughs> It'd be funny because you get into a certain routine and you just expect it after so long. And they've been so successful for such an extended period, what, 17 years now, that that's going to be a rude awakening once the landscape shifts. Because I tell people all the time, and while Cleveland's been horrible for an extended period of time, I remember you know, growing up as a kid and you had teams like the Patriots, like the Colts, as the worst teams in the league, for, mm-hmm. and the Bengals as well, for a long period of time. And so... Things change. People retire. You know, it's going to happen sooner or later. I know there's some Patriots fatigue, but this this is a wonderful matchup. And I know you weren't going into the Super Bowl tonight, but it. Oh no, no, no! You're you're here. Look, we I've done my Super Bowl preview, but you're here. You know, I want your thoughts. Well, I think this is as close as you possibly get, and I give the advantage to New England because of the two weeks of preparation with Belichick, which is always in his advantage, and the overall experience in the roster, but. one of the other things I did today was for Bleacher Report was going position by position to see who had the advantage on each team. And so when I did the final tally, it was five to five <laughs> on who I believed um, breaking down each position had the advantage on both sides of the ball. And so that tells me from a personnel standpoint, you have pretty much the two best teams of football playing in this game. And that's not always the case. Sometimes the team gets gets lightning in the bottle, and they, they make it a championship run. These two teams entered this season as the best two teams, and they're going to leave the season as the best two teams. And it's not just because of the quarterbacks, and it's not just because of the head coaches. They're talent at every position. And there's advantages you can find within this contest, the games within the game, that will be absolutely spectacular to watch. I cannot wait to see Aaron Donald take on the best interior offensive line of football with the New England Patriots. When you have Joe Tunney and you have David Andrews and you have Shaq Mason, not allowing any quarterback sacks this postseason, what is Donald going to do? Not only Donald, but Ndamukong and Sue. And by the way, Michael Brockers is pretty talented as well. It's just going to be really fun to see that chess match. For me, one of the things is I think the Rams need to not fall under what the Falcons did. And realize that, hey, even if we get up a little bit early, you can't let your foot off the gas. And that is something the Falcons did, obviously, you know, you know a couple of years ago. Um, you, you know, unless you have, you know, the old, you know, and I know you're into, you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the superhero in the movies, everything. Unless you're literally holding the head in your hand, it's not over with New England. It is never in that respect. Now, can the Rams do what Philly did last year and say, look, it's a close contest back and forth, and that is how you beat them. And look, Kansas City, to their credit, you know, came that close. But you can't think just because you're getting up early, okay, we got this. It does not work that way with New England. And if New England gets up early, that's when you're going to get a little bit nervous because, look, 
you know, Goff Young, McVay Young, and look, it's, you know, McVay going against the Jedi Master, and Jared Goff, the quarterback, against the Jedi Master. Those are the things that concern you. If you, you know, and I I, I predicted Rams 41-38, but this needs to be a closely contested battle into the fourth quarter for the Rams. If they're up early, you get really nervous about it. If, if they get knocked down a couple times in the first quarter, you're really worried about it. They need to play consistent on both ends of the ball. And look, Aaron Donald is a key here because he really hasn't had a great postseason run here with what we normally see from Aaron Donald week in, week out. You know, Jeff, the, the analogy you made made me think of Brad Pitt at the end of seven. There you What's go. What's in the box? What's <laughs> in the box? But the Falcons never opened the box, so they never found out what the ending was. Exactly. <laughs> and when I look at Sean McVay, and we know how aggressive he is as a coach, I thought it was very telling that he didn't play for the win late in that NFC Championship game. And, yes, it worked out in their favor. But this is someone that's come up publicly and stated that they're not afraid of success. And that's fine. Play like it. And so – if you do have an opportunity to get up on the Patriots, you must step on their collective throat and finish them because you're not going to have an opportunity if you if you pull off that if you if you start pulling back a little bit because they will not be flustered. Tom Brady's unflappable, so <laughs> he knows how to get the job done even in the most extreme cases on the biggest stage, and that that to me is the difference and why I believe they have even though they'll give up points and Patriots will score points, that, that, that in the end, they'll have a slight advantage. All right, so your Super Bowl prediction, 53, is? Patriots. can't remember the score I, I wrote for Bleach Report, so I apologize. I want to say it was 28-24. I would just say it's – I would just say yeah, – look, I mean, part of the reason we did this is because me and Pete have had this playoff battle prediction. So he took the Patriots, which he – predicted them to lose both games, <laughs> which is funny. So now he took them. So for us to go even Steven, I need the Rams to win this game. So that's the way we went there. Um, give me a Super Bowl MVP, and then we're going to poke you a little bit for some names early at 17 that you think would fit. No, I will go with Sony Michelle uh, with 53 carries over <sighs> over 200 yards in the first two postseason games. And I know the automatic comeback is they're running against Aaron Donald and Dominic and Sue. That's fine. Use that to your advantage. What do I mean? Hyper-aggressive interior defenders who love to penetrate and be disruptive. Allow them to do so to create running lanes. Use wham blocks. Use traps. Use misdirection. And allow unleash Michelle into where he can get into the second level and into the secondary because that's where he's been so special through this postseason. Wonderful stat that I saw just today. Of any running back in the NFL, he has carried the ball on 60% of his snaps this year. So that's the highest percentage. You know he's getting the ball when he's in there, but you got to find a way to stop it, and teams still haven't done it. So that speaks very highly not only of what Tom Brady does pre-snap, but how good that offensive line has been. Well, and look, Bill Belichick spent a first-round pick on a running back. Um, and, and Pete said this last night, and this is the best part about it is because is we had our battle over Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. Look, I love Nick Chubb. Uh, I liked Sony Michelle. I tick better. It didn't really matter. We we both won because they're both fantastic backs. But Bill invested in Sony Michelle because he said, "You want to know what? That's my sixth ring. This is the guy. 
and 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 you prefaced it with you know the stat of you know if he's on the field, he's getting the ball. So it will be interesting. And look, and you know the uh, I found it funny that the prop bet for the first jersey number to score a touchdown was set at twenty six and a half. Mm, who wears twenty six? Uh, let's yeah. see. Yeah, exactly. That was a prime example with that right there. So it, it will be interesting, and you know, look, I, I I'll, I'll ride with my pick, and, and part of it is is you know the Jersey guy in me. Look, I'm done. I'm done watching the Patriots. Look, and it's no disrespect. I appreciate, and in I am enamored by everything they've done, but I'm ready to the I'm ready for the next phase of the NFL and all these young quarterbacks and Baker Mayfield obviously influences that. Um, but Brent, before we put a bet, uh, you know, put a bow on this. Seventeenth pick. First things first. Let's hope everybody goes QB Gaga in a <laughs> class that is probably not a one you should go QB Gaga in. But some names you like early at this point. Look, obviously everything's going to tilt after free agency and the trading window opens. But some names at seventeen, and not just we don't need to go through the John Dorsey lens because we know. But let's go through the Brent Sobleski lens of some guys at 17 that, like, wow, if he's there, yikes. First of all, let's do it by positional need because we know that best player available is seen through the lens of need. And anyone who thinks... <laughs> exactly. You know, if anyone thinks there's actually a true and legitimate best player available, they don't follow the draft. It's almost like those who think that the America is an actual legitimate true democracy which it's not that was in Greece <laughs> so you have to keep that in mind when you look at it let's let's look at their biggest need areas first of all defensive tackle particularly three technique if Ed Oliver slides to that spot which it is possible it might be outside shot especially after he tests at the combine he is someone that albeit undersized I will acknowledge it but if you get that type of athleticism explosion lateral movement to place between Larry Ogunjobi and Miles Garrett, watch out. Because you can stunt and move and blitz with those guys and destroy quarterbacks' lives. <laughs> well, that was the thing, and I'll let you go here, but that's what Lance Zerlin was saying is, like, look, and he wasn't so much dissing on Ed Oliver is that he has linebacker athleticism, but he plays the tackle. It's crazy. He's legitimately that talented from a physical perspective. So I get I get the potential position switch, and I also understand those who are concerned about his lack of bulk. But we have to we also have to take into consideration size does not equal strength at the point of attack. That is a, a, a logical argument yep. when you're looking at skill sets. You have to see how naturally and what his functional football strength is if he's 275 pounds and can handle double teams better than a 295 300 pound defensive tackle like say alabama's isaiah bugs why would you take bugs ahead of oliver because he's 20 pounds heavier that 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 doesn't make any sense so that's what i'm always looking at skill set and how it fits into the situation i know i joked about a little bit earlier with jeffrey simmons the background is frightening and by all accounts, ever since he entered Mississippi State, he's been a model citizen for that program. And I'll give him credit, but you cannot escape that video. Nope. It's going to come up. It's already haunted him by not being invited to the NFL Combine. Which is and good. It, which is good, but they better stay consistent with it. Yeah, well, it's been the last couple of years, but the thing is, 
what they're doing at the combine has absolutely no effect on what's happening in the NFL, and we know that, right? Nope. We he can still Ruben do a Foster. pro day. He can do every interview, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, just look at Reuben Foster's situation. Look at Tyreek Hill. I mean, we've gotten to the point where we know these guys have these histories, and yet we still laud them for their play on the field. And that's what it. the NFL puts on a front when it comes to domestic violence. But in reality, they show they don't care that much. And I'm, I'm not going to get into it any more than that, but that's just the fact of the matter. So when you see a player of Simmons' raw ability and talent, he's a top 10 prospect. If he starts to slide and you have a general manager like John Dorsey who hasn't placed that same emphasis on character as other general managers, he could potentially take advantage of that situation. I think a lot of it would come down to, to whether D. Haslam would sign off on it. If, if she does, it would be the obvious pick at 17. If not, then you move to another position of need. One I will mention, and and this is not necessarily in accordance to Greg Robinson's situation, but more Chris Hubbard. You can move on from Chris Hubbard this year, save over $4 million, upgrade the position, and, not, and still pay less, with a first-round pick than you would if you retained him for another year. So that was a roundabout way of saying that right tackle might still be a concern. <laughs> yep. If Alabama's Jonah Williams slides because some morons think he's a guard instead of a tackle, or his arms are a little too short, or he's not quite athletic enough. Or maybe he's not a left tackle, but he's still a quality, quality offensive lineman. If it's me personally, I am running to the table <laughs> yep. to, to get that selection in. I truly believe Jonah Williams is a top three prospect. And I and when I'm when I look at him, Jeff, you know this, I despise doing player comps because they're always misconstrued. I see the same mannerisms and style of play that I did out of Joe Thomas. Now so and that is the highest level of praise I can possibly give a prospect. Now, that's not Joe Thomas at the end of his career when he's a future Hall of Famer. That's him coming into the league and his ability. So maybe the number 73 mixes you up a little bit, but that's the caliber of player he can be. Maybe not on the left side, but on the on the right tackle. Another one I mentioned that I absolutely love, it might be my favorite player after Williams among the offensive linemen, Dalton Reisner. If you saw what he did at the senior bowl, first of all, his arms measure over 34 inches. That's a huge number for him. So he smacked us from wherever he's sitting right now. He just yeah. smacked us both across the cheek. Hey, when you get under those 34 inches and guys play offensive tackle, scouts start <laughs> starting to get a little antsy, right? So mm-hmm. he answered that question. Now, on top of it, he had a rough first day in Mobile and then dominated there on after. The way he plays angles, the way he is a technician, how he can anchor, the physicality he brings to the position – would be a welcome addition to the position. So I think the biggest concern and why I stress right tackle and why I'm mentioning it is Chris Hubbard can be fine next year. He can be your starting right tackle, and you can you can deal with that for another season. But his lack of power at the point of attack and inability to consistently anchor in his deep set are highly concerning. If you want to be bigger and more physical, you can start there. If it's not there, it's center. But you're obviously, since we're talking about the 17th overall pick, you're probably not going to discuss a pivot at that point. So the Browns need to be more physical at the point of attack. The statistic that constantly rings in my head from last year is they were dead last in the NFL, well, at least Nick Chubb was dead last in the NFL, from when he was touched after he first got the carry. So that shows that 
They're not getting push off the ball, and you need to have those type of guys that can uproot defenders and move them so that he can start getting downhill. And that's why I look at, at offensive tackle still concerned, even if Greg Robinson is 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 resigned. And finally, the last position I'll, I'll mention, and this could be first or second round, but I think it's something that needs to be addressed as linebacker. When you look 100%. at 7.25 million, you can save by releasing him. Yes, you still have uh, you still have Gennard Avery to step in at Sam linebacker, but it's not just Collins. A year from now, we're going to have the same conversation about Christian Kirksey and the amount of money the team can save by which moving. is tough though because I mean I mean and I agree with you, but the you know Kirksey is a guy everybody loves and he's good in the community, but you know and everybody wants to bring up the injuries. He wasn't playing well regardless of the injuries. No, and he hasn't lived up to the the extension he received. Nope. So. If a Devin White from LSU happens to slide, now you get a little mixed on how highly rated he should be. Some guys think he's top 10, some guys top 15. I have trouble seeing him making it past 11 with the Cincinnati Bengals, but if he does, his speed and athleticism would be a welcome addition. And you know who it would remind me of? And I'm not trying to say these two are going to be the same players, but the setup would be similar. If you put... Devin White next to Joe Schobert. Now you have your Keekley and Thomas Davis. And while I don't expect Schobert to become a Hall of Famer like Luke Keekley or be as savvy a veteran as Thomas Davis was, you can operate the defense the same way schematically as Steve Wilkes did in Carolina. So I look at him and think to myself, that would be a wonderful fit. And if he's not there in the first round, let's hope that Mac Wilson is there in the second round from Alabama. First of all, Tosh LaPoy will know Mac very well from his time as defensive coordinator in Alabama. So you can seamlessly slide him in and have inside knowledge. But he's also someone that works well in space. And that's really the potential difference you need at linebacker. Now, some of that was on Greg Williams last year. His spot drops and an inability to reroute tight ends and have them covering so much space overall really hurt the linebackers. But if you can find guys that are a little more athletic, that are a little more comfortable working the passing game and can make those big plays, your whole entire defense can take a step up. Well, I mean, if you look at the Carolina games and you look at the Pittsburgh games, um, Joe is great in putting him into a spot in coverage. But you need that chase linebacker, and, and that's not what Joe does. You need that athletic modern-day linebacker that can say, look, you know, yeah, this your running back's going to catch the ball at the five-yard mark. But that's it. It's over after that. Even if he beats me, he's going to be tackled there. And that's where games where it showed up. And, and also, this is something you're going to have to worry about because if this franchise is going to be good and going to be up in the score in the second half, whether it's, you know, mid-third quarter, late, you're going to have to cover these backs out because if the secondary does their jobs... You can't get torched on a five-yard reception that turns into a 20-yard, 25-yard play. And that's where you're going to need. And, and I know it was something they were looking for at the trade deadline. You need athleticism at the linebacker position. There's no there's no way to deny this. Yeah, when you look at they had interest in Hassan Reddick. They have also inquired about Shaq Barrett. Now, those guys are a little bit on the opposite side of the spectrum and how they affect the pass game. But it shows you that they were trying to improve in different ways at that position overall. And notice, notice what position I didn't mention, Jeff. Do you want to know what it was? 
Was it defense or was it offense? Wide receiver, sir. <laughs> Whoa, what do you know? So yeah, we don't have, we don't have, know, we don't have to give seven draft picks to the so Giants. Obvious, right? <laughs> well, and that's even the thing. But you look, and that's where people, oh, well, you're ignoring it. Well, no, you can bring in another guy. Heck, you know, if you end up still with nine draft picks, you have 11. There's no way you're going to use 11. You want to draft two guys and create a huge competition at the position? That's fine. That's okay. I have no problem with that. And the best six or seven. Um, and look, and if you're going to be the fifth or sixth wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns, understand this. You're covering punts. You're on kickoff team. This is how good teams operate. And I think a lot of the fans are going to have to start to understand that this is how it works now. You were so accustomed to the way things were work. Yeah, And even last year, I remember, oh, Jeff Janis, we got to keep him. Well, guys, I don't care about a guy covering punts. If we're not, if unless you're going to the Super Bowl, you're not worried about a guy covering punts. Um, but the, now all of a sudden things are different. If you want to win your division, if you want to play in the playoffs, yeah, um, you know. And I, and I'll just say this: I think about uh, the wide receiver from Ohio State. He seems like a nice fit. Yeah, with Terry McLaurin, absolutely. And the irony is, he's probably the best gunner in this draft. So not only do you get speed as a vertical threat, a great locker room kid but someone that's going to be a core four special teamer that's the thing though right you're not just looking at the top guy you know and, and well, that's year- where we are now now it's like well you know because it's we have kind of those guys it's can you do this but i kind of need you to do that if you're going to be this guy well what the way i'm looking at it is find certain traits <laughs> to fill the fill the cracks okay so for example if we look at John Dorsey's history, speed, speed, more speed. Did I mention he likes speed? <laughs> At least that's how he's drafted wide receivers. And he brought Jarvis Landry in not because of what he can do within the offense. We know what he can do, but he doesn't have that downfield presence, that separation that you're looking for in the position. He's also someone that was perfect for the locker room, someone that was great to be a face of your team, that leads a young wide receiver core with his blocking and playing by example. But now you need the people around him to exploit what you have. So Brashard Perriman's a good start if you resign him. Where are you looking next? You don't have to go in the first round, maybe second round with a Paris Campbell. That's someone that makes sense with his with his athleticism and raw speed as well. So either Ohio State wide receiver. And then even further down, you start looking at guys like Nicole Hardman from Georgia. Penny Hart, Georgia State, Andy Isabella from UMass. These are guys that could just flat out fly. They might not be the biggest guys. You don't need the biggest guys. You need people who can create separation and stretch the field. And that's where the the biggest difference you'll see in this offense. Munkin and Kitchens prefer a a vertical downfield attacking offense. And then you have someone like Jarvis Landry who becomes a complementary piece working underneath and exploiting the soft parts in the zone. So, those are the type of talents I'm looking at. Those second tier, uh, second and third tier wide receivers who bring something different. And here's a free agent name, for example, that we should throw out there that I, we didn't say earlier. Smokey Brown, the wide receiver from Baltimore who led the Ravens this year, ultra fast, came out of Arizona, was drafted by Arizona when Freddie Kitchens was there. Someone that can step in and fill that void as well. He's an interesting name. I actually didn't think about that with the Arizona connection with Freddie um, but, you know, but the other thing is, you know, and, and we get down to money, and that's where we're all at with all of this. Um, Brett, 
It's always a pleasure, dude. I mean, it feels weird to call this a podcast because we could put together, we could put down two hours like it was nobody's business. Oh, it hasn't been two hours. Oh, it felt like it. <laughs> close to one. <laughs> close to one. Close to one. Uh, sorry, guys. sorry. I, I oh, are you kidding sorry. me? Are you kidding me? I got nothing else going on here. One kid's out of a sleepover. The other one's, you know, preteens. Brent, two daughters. They're, you know, I'm sure Instagram is popping for them about right about now. Um. It's been a pleasure, guys. Uh, Brent's work over at the OBR, over at Bleacher Report, does a fantastic job. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do more with Brent, and it's fun because Brent schools me. Uh, we have some fun with some stuff. I make him laugh a little bit, which is good because Brent needs to loosen up a little bit. And I still love the fact that Brent will you know throw everything on a Twitter and just say, "All right, I'll go about my day, and I'll catch back in about seven hours." Uh, but, you know, check out the article on the free agency. That was fantastic. Read a Super Bowl article. Uh, great stuff from Brent. Also, uh, real I, quick, Jeff, I can make a quick right plug. You just, you I, had plug the pleasure, I had the pleasure of, of interviewing Mike Jones, the man who made the tackle for football aficionados out there, the man who stopped Kevin Dyson one yard short in Super Bowl 34. And we all have seen the highlight of the wide receiver stretching so much to try to break the, the goal line. Well, I have a retrospective coming out on him tomorrow that was truly enjoyable to do, to write, and I hopefully everyone out there gets to have another little inside view of one of the biggest moments in Super Bowl history. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Everybody's, and that was weird because everybody was kind of rooting for Titans in that one. But, guys, uh, obviously check out that piece from Brent tomorrow. Um, the Lockdown Browns Twitter account, we always keep it follow back. Uh, follow me, underscore, uh, Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Um, guys, it's, it, it, it just keep the momentum with the show keeps growing and I appreciate everything that everybody's done and you guys are fantastic with that. We're just going to keep rolling on here. Um, look, I mean, I told you after the post game show from week 17, off season wasn't going to exist. I mean, you know, yes, there's an off season, but we were going to keep pumping out great content and have guys like Brent and everybody else who was willing to come on and just continue to talk and, and bring great thoughts and great content. That's what we're going to do here, guys. Um, it's our time. Let's enjoy it. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.